Hi, I'm Carl Payton, pastor of Transformation Church RVA. I wanted to take a moment and thank you for checking out this sermon. I also wanted to bring to your attention something that is close to our hearts here. While our team has prayed that this message would stir within you a desire to know more about Jesus and be more like Him, our desire is that it would only be supplemental to your faith journey and not replace the church and faith community God has called you to be a part of locally. With that said, engage with us over the next 30 to 40 minutes as we dig into the Word of God proclaimed. Morning, church. My name is Sandra, and uh, I get the privilege of serving as a deacon at T-Church and also work in the kitchen. (laughs) Today, our scripture reading comes from Romans 12, 3 through 8, if you'd like to um, look it up in your Bible and follow along. Paul writes, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we are all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Bless the reading of the word. Thank you, Miss Sandra. Good morning again. I am sure that you were not expecting to see me this morning, nor was I expecting to be up here this morning. So we're both surprised. But as I said, the pains are out, um, and it is always an honor and a privilege to be able to share with you and dig into God's word, and I'm always grateful for the opportunity. So as you noticed in the scripture reading, we're kind of, kind of, we're going to kind of take a little bit of a detour from Acts this morning. Maybe detour might not be the right word. I like to think of it maybe as a pit stop. We're going to stop off the side of the road to smell the roses for a little while. So we've been, we've been blazing this trail through Acts. We've been watching as the early church is formed and how the gospel has moved in very powerful ways. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that the gospel broke down barriers, that it met people where they were at. It met, meets us where we are at. And then we saw the, the, the Spirit use Peter to bring about gospel work on stages and in areas that was previously unimaginable. We saw that even in the midst of struggle, the early church grew and the gospel was displayed through the lives of the faithful believers who were proclaiming it. And then last week, we saw that the sacrifice is a necessary part 
of the gospel. And that even though we may not face the same trials that Stephen faced, that we must daily choose to live out our faith and publicly proclaim the gospel message. So now we're, we're pulling off the highway and we're gonna take, at a look, we're gonna take a look at a passage in Romans. And in this passage, Paul is beginning to connect theology and doctrine with kind of practical application. So, so far in Acts, we've seen Christians, they've done incredible things for Christ. Miracles have taken place. The Holy Spirit has changed the lives of thousands of people. We've seen the development of the role of deacon and that role of service so that the teaching could continue. And in light of these giftings and in light of this mission, that's kind of the lens that we're gonna look at Romans 12 through. And before we dive in, though, I wanna ask you a question. Have you ever been part of a team? Baseball, basketball, football, lacrosse. I mean, you could go on and on. Maybe you haven't been part of a team, but maybe you like to watch team sports. Maybe you like to watch pro football or college basketball or something to that effect. But if you've been a part of a team or if you've watched a team participate together, Every teammate has a role on that team. Every teammate has a specific purpose. And you know, you could, you, you look at some teams and they've got maybe two or three contributors that can carry the team for a little while and that team, it can be pretty good. But the national championship caliber teams, the ones that win the Super Bowl, they have teammates who all contribute. Everybody knows their role Everybody knows their purpose, and they all achieve that purpose together. And these themes of unity, these themes of community and cooperation that we see in teams is the same kind of themes that we're going to start to see in Romans 12, 3 through 8. And what we'll see together is that God has uniquely gifted, equipped, and qualified Christians to fulfill the gospel mandate through the community of the local church. And just as we've seen the local church in Acts have a mission and a purpose, we have that same purpose. And God has richly gifted us everything we need to fulfill that mission. So first, a little background on the book of Romans. So the first 11 chapters of Romans, what we see happening is Paul is laying out kind of a theology for Christianity. He's telling the Romans, hey, this is what you should believe about Jesus, and this is kind of why you should believe it. So once he goes through those first 11 chapters, we kind of go into chapter 12, it, he, he starts to switch. He starts to answer the question, okay, now that we know what we should believe, so what? What does that mean for us? What, because of our belief, what should we now do? And we see in these first three verses, so we saw in the first, if we were to go back and look at like one through three, we kind of see this idea of we must stop being conformed to the world. We must stop being like everyone else around us. And we have to renew our minds by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But this isn't Paul just saying, hey, like don't dress like everybody else around you. Like don't have the same haircut or the same style. Paul's more concerned about the heart. 
Just like Jesus, Paul is more concerned about how he believed the outworkings of a heart because he knew that if a heart was changed, then life would be changed. He knew that life change and habit change is tied to the heart, not to external appearances. And this is where we find ourselves in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. Paul has just talked about regeneration and renewing of the mind, and now we move into this passage. And the first thing that we're going to see is that we must rightly think about ourselves. So in verse 3, Paul writes, As God's messenger, I give each of you this warning. Be honest in your estimate of yourself, measuring your value by how much faith God has given you. So I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Corey, I'm always right. I always think rightly about myself because I'm always right. I know that's what my wife is thinking I'm thinking right now. But if this is you and this is what you're thinking, then unfortunately I'm here to burst your bubble because that is not what Paul was saying when he says we must think rightly about ourselves. And what kind of cues us in on that is Paul, at the beginning of of verse three, he's kind of bringing out the big guns. And we see that, and then we see that in, in the verse where he says, as God's messenger, I give you this warning. And another way, another translation says, for by the grace given to me, I say to you. And this grace that Paul is referring to is the gift of apostleship that he was given on the Damascus Road. And a little sneak peek, we're gonna be talking about that soon coming up. But this grace that he's given to me, he's referring to his authority as an apostle. He's referring to the authority that Jesus gave Paul when he called him to, hey, stop killing people and follow me. So Paul, he was cueing the leaders, he was cueing the people into the fact that what he was about to write, we need to pay attention. What he's about to say, it's important. And he lays it out. He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. It's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? That's a lot. So there's several things that we need to understand and think through to kind of understand what Paul is telling us. This first phrase, he says, everyone among you. So that right off the bat, he's talking to everyone. He's not just talking to the leadership of the church. He's not just talking to a select group of people. Paul is talking to the entire Roman church. And this also, it kind of starts to cue us in on this idea that Paul is referring to gifts. He's referring to the gifts that they had been given directly from God. And then the next phrase that we see is where he says a measure of faith that God has assigned So this word measure, it's not referring to a tape measure or a ruler or something that we would get dimensions with. Rather, it's referring to like a specific amount of something. So like a cup of flour or a bag of grapes. I like grapes. That's why, never mind. So our measure of faith that God has assigned to us that we we are then, he continues on, we're then to think with sober judgment. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think of the word sober, 
it kind of, I get this like melancholy feeling. I'm thinking, okay, so we're supposed to think like melancholy, with melancholy judgment or with sad judgment. And maybe it's just because every time we talk about being sober, it's because somebody was like out partying the night before and they got hammered and then now they need to sober up. But that's not what Paul is talking about. He's not talking about we have to think soberly about ourselves. Instead, it's this idea of right understanding. It's this idea that we need to look at every situation that we've been in. We need to look at ourselves realistically, our skills, our talents, our experiences, and we have to use all of that to judge ourselves rightly. This is what he means when he says sober judgment, that we have to have the right mindset about who we are in light of who God is. But he also says that we have to think rightly about ourselves and we shouldn't think of ourselves too highly. This is another thing that I think sometimes we kind of get confused on or we miss what he's saying here. A lot of times we read this passage or we read that passage where it says, do not think too highly of yourselves, but put others first, is that we have to like push ourselves down all the time, that we have to think of ourselves as meaning nothing and others as meaning everything. But that's that's not what Paul is saying. This this coupled with this idea of sober judgment is he's saying, look, understand your role. Understand what God has given you. Understand that in light of the body of Christ, which we'll see later on, that you have a specific role, that you have a specific purpose. And we have to know how to think rightly about ourselves. But also that that purpose was given to us by God. It's nothing that we have done to deserve it. And because of that, we can't boast in what we've been given. So I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I had like one goal. That goal was to play professional sports. That's all I thought about. I just want to play baseball. I wanted to get better. And I wanted to make the money. I wanted the fame. I just wanted to like have fun, right? And as a kid, I was like, there was zero, zero doubt in my mind that I would achieve that goal. 20 years later, and with the realization that I stopped growing at 5'7", that reality became impossible. But it wasn't because a lack of desire, but it was because I could rightly understand my own abilities and my own skills, and my own limitations. I was able to rightly understand myself, and therefore I knew that I probably wasn't going to be a professional athlete. This is what Paul is getting at. This is this idea of having sober judgment. But I'm not sure that it's as easy as it sounds. One of the commentators, I think, nailed it perfectly when he wrote. He said, to himself or herself, every person is, in a sense, the most important person in the world. Think about that for a second. I'm going to reread it. It says, to himself or herself, every man or woman is, in a sense, the most important person in the world. It's 
It's a little close to home, doesn't it? As humans, our first inkling is not to think rightly about ourselves, but instead our bent is to blow up our own heads. Our first thought is to put our abilities and our skills at levels above everyone else around us. And here's the thing, sometimes that might be accurate. Sometimes we might be better than someone else at something they are doing. But what we have to realize is our abilities and our skills are not given to us by us. They were given to us by God. And because of that, we've got no reason to boast. We have no grounds to boast. And just as Paul is telling the Roman church to think rightly about themselves, we also must think rightly about who, are, who we are. And if I'm being completely honest to you, I think as a society today, we are absolutely terrible at this. All we want is for someone to tell us how good we are. I mean, think about a recent conversation you had. How many times in that conversation were you thinking while the other person was talking to you how you could say something to them that would make them then say, wow, I never thought of that. That was awesome. Thank you. Because it makes us feel good. Or think about how much time we spend on social media promoting ourselves and our families because we want other people to think that our life is picture perfect. We want other people to look at us and say, wow, they got it together. They know, they, I wish I could be like that. Or maybe you don't do social media. Maybe it's in the midst of a conversation, you're thinking about other people trying to figure out what you can say about them that will push them down and therefore elevate you. We constantly try to make it about us because we want to feel powerful. We want to be in charge of ourselves. And this is the exact opposite of what Paul is telling us to do. The church will not survive if we are constantly putting ourselves before our brothers and sisters. The church will not survive if we are unable to recognize that we have a responsibility to serve and not be served. The church will not survive if we cannot put away our greediness for attention and seek out the good of those around us. We must rightly think about ourselves. But Paul does not leave us here. He continues on in verses four and five where he writes, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are all parts of his one body and each of us has different work to do. And since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. There's several unique things happening in this verse. Paul's, we, we saw, he just told the Romans, hey, think rightly about yourselves. And now he turns his focus and his attention to what does that look like? What does right thinking look like amongst the community of believers? You know, something right off the bat that we kind of see is in his time, philosophers, like secular philosophers, would use this picture of the body to kind of point out and maintain the socioeconomic standards of the day. 
So they would use this picture of a body to show that like a class system was right, that people were in a certain part, in a certain economic status, because that's just how it was, and it shouldn't be any different. But Paul takes that and turns it on its head. He uses it in a completely different way. He argues that we're all unique, yes. We all have a different purpose, yes. But only together can those purposes be fully known. So he uses it, he first, he draws his attention, like I said, to every person's uniqueness. And he shows that God designed us to work in community together. That God designed us to pull from the strengths of everyone else, to put ourselves into community and to rely on the body rather than relying on ourselves. So we see that we must have unity in our community. And even though those giftings and these purposes that we've been given may look different or be different, they're all just as necessary as the other. And you know, that's something that I think is easy to miss sometimes, is that we, we know we have gifts, we know we have talents, and we wanna use those talents but we forget to realize and think about that God created those talents to be used in the community of the church. And what I'm not saying is I'm not saying that we should not use our talents and gifts in the community around us to make a gospel impact. But I'm saying those gifts and talents that we've been given can only be fully known and fully used when we use them in the community of the church. We have purpose in the church. And just as we saw and have seen the early church pushing back the darkness as they grow, we must use our gifts as part of the body of Christ. Member, the word member, like referring to an arm or a leg, member has no meaning apart from the body. Apart from the body of Christ, we are not on an island. Has anybody seen Remember the Titans? Yes, no, maybe so. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, I recommend it. But remember the Titans, it's, it follows T.C. Williams during the, the time when high schools were being desegregated and it follows the football team. Coach Herman Boone has just been made the head coach of the football team and his purpose, his goal, what he has to try and achieve is make the team play together, is make the team come together as a team so that they can win. So they go off onto this, their summer training, and it's awful. I mean, they, they're fighting, they're arguing, nothing good is happening. So one morning, he gets everybody up really, really early, and they go for a run, coaches, players, everybody. And they end up at where the Battle of Gettysburg took place. And as they're all standing there looking over the field, he says this to them. He says, listen to their souls, men. I killed my brothers with malice in my heart. Hatred destroyed my family. If we don't come together right now on this hollowed ground, we too will be destroyed just like they were. 
And what we see is we see T.C. Williams go on to win the state championship, which was unheard of at the time. They put aside their differences and they played as a team. So can we put aside our differences? Can we choose to see the uniqueness of our own giftings as well as those of others and choose to work together rather than apart? You know, to be part of a church, it requires you to be in the church. And here's the deal. I, I'm not necessarily just, I'm not talking about just being in a building on a Sunday morning. We could come to church every Sunday. We could come to church every Wednesday. We could come to church every single day of the week. But that doesn't mean that we're in the church. Being part of a community means that we're living life together. We're rubbing shoulders with fellow believers. We're stretching each other. We're pushing each other. We're holding one another accountable. We're bearing each other's burdens. Believe me, you cannot bear someone's burdens by just showing up on a Sunday morning. We have to pray, we have to sacrifice, we have to give our up our own personal wants and desires to care for the needs of others. We have to sacrificially use what God has given us to push the gospel into the darkness. We have to realize that God did not give us gifts for our own gain. He gave us gifts to serve the church. You know, that kind of stings a little when you really think about it. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I think we kind of like money. We like for people to see us. We like to make an impression. We like for everything to be about us. We're all about me, 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 when we should be about us, us, us. Church, to live as a body of Christ, we must have unity. We must be willing to sacrifice ourselves for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because if we are, if we do, then Christ will do great things with us. He will use us. But Paul has got one more thing to tell us. We see that we must be faithful in our calling. So we've talked about thinking rightly about ourselves, being having sober judgment. And then in verse four, the, Paul uses this word for, and that kind of wraps it all together. It calls us back to the first. And he's showing us that by thinking soberly, we can accurately understand our giftings and serve the church. And then he goes on to give an example of many things. We can, we'll, we'll read that real quick. Starting in verse six, it says, God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out when you have faith that God is speaking through you. If your gift is that you are serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. You know, there's a lot in Romans. Not sure if you've heard of John Piper before, but he's a pretty famous theologian, and like him or not, 
the, re- the fact is that it took him eight years, eight years to preach through the book of Romans, start to finish. So we could spend an entire sermon or an entire class just looking at each of those giftings, and we just don't have time. But what we do see from that is that God has purposely gifted each and every believer. And it is our responsibility now to faithfully use those gifts that we have been given. Might show from what my wife has told me and others have told me, my, my nerd status. But Lord of the Rings fans, movies, books, yes, Oh, that is not near as many people as I thought it would be. (laughs) Yikes. But, well, either way, there's going to be some spoilers. Sorry, but it's been like a long time. I mean, Tolkien wrote them years ago, so it's it's your own fault if it's a spoiler. In The Lord of the Rings, Frodo, who's one of the main characters, is considered the ring bearer. And the whole purpose of the narrative of The Lord of the Rings, the story, is that Frodo is taking the all-powerful ring of power and destroying it because... Years ago, the evil Lord Sauron created the ring to rule over everyone, and he was just straight evil, right? So Frodo's come by the ring, and now he's taking it to Mount Doom. He's been called to go on a mission to Mount Doom to destroy the ring, and the story follows Frodo as he goes, and he faces evil, he faces battles, he faces his own friends turning on him, and yet he stays faithful to that calling. He stays faithful to that mission. In the midst of that struggle, in the midst of bad things happening, of people dying around him, of him wanting to turn around and go back, he stays faithful to his calling. And now I know if you know the story, it doesn't actually end the right way because he chooses not to throw it in, but that's beside the point. If we forget about that point, we know that Frodo remained faithful, that he carried on and this, this idea of calling, I think it gets, it gets thrown around a lot in ministry circles for leadership and staff and missionaries. And I think it's a familiar term enough for the church that we know that people have callings, but a lot of times those callings stop at leadership. Those callings stop at missionaries, that only people who want to be a pastor or only people that want to go in the mission field or only people that want to serve the church in a very specific way, they're the only ones that have a calling. But here's the thing. We have all, every single one of us, been called by God. All believers have the same calling. Me, You, everyone has the calling that we see in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go and make disciples. We've seen this calling being worked out in the book of Acts. It comes right after Jesus gave it. The apostles, the disciples are ministering to everyone around them. They are fulfilling the calling that Jesus placed on their lives. We've seen people go to prison. We've seen Christians stoned to death. We've seen thousands and thousands of people repent and believe in Jesus because they were faithful to their calling. We have not been called to sit on our hands and amen as other people do the work of the ministry. 
we've been called to serve. God has given us all unique gifts. He's called all believers to make disciples. And here at Transformation, to remain faithful to our calling is to think rightly about our giftings, is to use them to edify the body of Christ and proclaim the gospel to a dark and broken world. God has uniquely gifted us to bring hope. God has uniquely gifted us to bring good news to the dying. And maybe this is harsh, but you can't do that by sitting in a pew once a week on a Sunday morning. You can't learn to think with sober judgment about yourself by listening to one sermon a week and then going about your day. Wisdom requires discipline. The community requires sacrifice. Calling requires faithfulness. But it all requires living in community with one another, keeping a laser focus on the gospel and seeking God together as a church. So where do you find yourself today? Are you asking yourself questions about giftings, about where should I serve, what should I do? Do I have a calling? Do I have a specific calling? Maybe you're, you're wondering, how do I discern these things about myself? Step number one is serve. Get plugged in. Volunteer your time. We can't figure out our callings unless we do something. And now, I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to us, but many times I think God reveals himself in our giftings through our service in our doing. We have to live in community. We have to spend time with other people, laboring together for them to be able to speak into our lives. You also have to give them permission to speak into your life. Many times, others can help us, but if we don't give them that permission, then how could they? If we're not going to listen to what other believers tell us or how they encourage us, then how does that help? We can't sit around expecting God to work or to reveal his will when we already know what he's called us to do. Go. Make disciples. God has uniquely gifted, equipped, and qualified Christians to fulfill the gospel mandate through the community of the church. So what are you going to do about it? Are you going to continue to think of yourself before other people? Are you going to continue to ignore the call that God has put on your life? Or are you going to surrender to the Father's will? Are you going to give yourself to the calling that every believer has on their life? Are you going to commit to pushing the gospel forward? Are you going to sacrifice your own desires, your wants, so that the good news can go forth? What are you going to do? Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, Check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.